Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, the fifth book of the Bible, the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy, and we find our way to the book of Deuteronomy and chapter number seven. We are now in our final stages of the life and ministry of Moses. We've watched a lot of the narrative parts. And remember, as we come to the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has about one month to live and God turns him loose and allows him to preach messages to the children of Israel, preparing them for their crossing. Moses is about 120 years old at this time. And as we go through the book of Deuteronomy, we're not going to take time to go through them all, but there are tons of names of God that remember that when you find someone's name, there's meaning attached. There becomes emotion attached. For example, my wife's name is Leah. When I hear her name, I have an emotional response. And that should be so. I should shouldn't be the thing where I hear a name and there's nothing. There should be something because it means something to me. There's some, a meaning that is attached to that name. Well, each of God's names tells us something special and unique about God that he wants us to know. And that there are many times whenever you go through the Bible and you see one of these special, unique names of God, God uses it on purpose to help people during that time. For example, there's a name of God that is, talks about the Lord of hosts. And the Lord of hosts is, he's the God, he's the captain, the general of all the armies of heaven. And oftentimes you'll see that in a time where people are afraid. Maybe there's an enemy coming. Maybe they're afraid of the people. And God says, listen, I'm the God of hosts. I'm the God of all the armies in heaven. Obey me because there's more on my side than their side. Well, that's a great encouragement. You may remember Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides. The Lord is our banner. His banner over me is love. That banner is a standard, a flag he flies over. We talked about before, uh, about some of these names of God. And now we come to another unique, special name of God that holds a lot of meaning when we understand that God uses this on purpose to teach the people and to give them the encouragement because of who God is. So as you find your way to the book of Deuteronomy, we find ourselves in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 7. The book of Deuteronomy chapter number 7, the fifth book in the Bible, and we see as God is being discussed and the Lord is being presented, and with it in the middle of this, God gives a special name of God to encourage them to back up, to enhance the message that is being given about the Lord. So find your way to the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 7. The book of Deuteronomy chapter number 7, and let's pick it up in verse number 6. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse number 6. Notice what the word of God says. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all the people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you because ye were more in number than any other than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. 
But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had swore unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, from the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark the name of God that we find in the book of Deuteronomy chapter number 7? Deuteronomy chapter 7, and notice with me in verse number 9, the faithful God. The faithful God. The Hebrew name is El Hanamenon. For those of you who like to spell such things, it's E-L space H-A-N-N-E apostrophe E-M-A-N. El Heminen. And we know this is the name of God, the faithful God. We understand this is the God who keeps his word. The God who keeps his word. And with the Lord's help, we want to study more about this God, the God that we could trust because he's a faithful God, the God who keeps his word. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God, a God who's worthy to be worshiped, worthy to be served. You're worthy of our adoration and praise because of who you are. I'm asking as we come to you now that we would learn more about you because of your name and that we could apply it to our lives, that we could see how this faithful God interacts with our everyday circumstances. You're the God who is always faithful. Help us even now to open up your word and see these things. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as Moses is spending time to take the children of Israel and give them a shot in the arm, give them the preparation, the preaching that they need in order to continue to follow God into the promised land, he comes to this section and he begins to explain their circumstances and God's relationship with the people in the midst of these circumstances. Now, if you remember, only 70 people had went down to Egypt from the promised land during the time of Joseph. And they had sprung up to two and a half million people. So they went from 70 to two and a half million people in a span of a couple hundred years. But as Moses is telling these people here, he's giving them a reality check. Why was it that God had chosen the Hebrew people? Why was it? Well, notice as they give this explanation in verse number six. For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. So he's saying these Hebrew people, they've been chosen by God for himself. He had a purpose for them. Above all the people upon the face of the earth. Now remember the Hebrew people aren't the only people on the earth. There's other people. There's the Canaanites. You have people in Asia. You have people in the Americas that have yet to be discovered to the known world. You've got tons of people all over the place. And out of all these people, God had pulled the Hebrew people for a special people. Notice verse 7. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. He said, I didn't pick you because you were the biggest and the baddest. I didn't pick you because you were the greatest number. In fact, you're just little pipsqueak people. There's not a lot of you compared to everyone else. But I chose you anyways. 
I had a purpose in you. You were not picked because of how handsome you were. You were not picked because the good that I could see in you. You were not picked because I thought that you would do me some favors. In fact, the New Testament speaks that about us. The Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 5 verse 8, For God commendeth his love towards you. That word commend carries the idea of prove. That God commend his love towards you. And while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. Even for the idea of salvation. You know why Jesus gave you salvation? It was not because you were a good person. In fact, you were a sinner. God did not allow you to have salvation because he says, you know what? I could see a diamond in the rough. I could see something that could sparkle. No, he says you were a sinner. A low down rotten sinner who hated God. You didn't do anything to deserve God's love. But God loved you anyway. God's the one who gives worth and value to you, by the way. We're low-down, rotten sinners who are worthy of hell. And yet God chose to love us when we were unlovely. When we were unlovable, God loved us. God's putting the same principle here. He says, I'm not telling you, Hebrew people, that I loved you because you were special. Because there was something in you. I like the way that you looked. I like the customs that you had. I like the beards that you were able to grow. And that was for the women. I mean, just kidding. He says, I chose you when you were nothing. I still chose to love you anyways. He says in verse 8, because, but because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had swore unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out of, with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen, from the house of Pharaoh of Egypt. Do you know that God made a promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15? He says, I'm going to make you of a great nation. And by the way, your nation is going to be put into a strange land for 400 years. And I'm going to be faithful to pull you out of that strange land. And God did. 400 years is a long time to wait for a promise. And God said, I'm doing this because I made a promise to Abraham. I didn't do this because of you. I did it because I made a promise and I'm faithful to keep my word. I'm a God who keeps my word. You know that the promise that God made to Abraham was not dependent upon the people. It was dependent upon himself. If you go back to Genesis 15, you could listen to that message sometime. God made a promise to Abraham, made a contract, made a covenant. You say, well, if you make a covenant, don't two people have to agree to it? Yes, but God put Abraham asleep. Abraham was not conscious during the agreement. So who was God making the agreement with? Himself. God made a promise to himself about Abraham. Abraham was present. And by the way, God made a promise to himself to the Lord Jesus Christ that he would save us. He's doing it for his own glory, not because you're something special. He just chose to love you and gave you salvation because he made a promise to himself. God keeps his word. And yes, there are promises in the Bible that concerns us but God's going to keep them because he is a faithful God. Isn't that wonderful? You know that takes some pressure off of us. Because we can't get ourselves saved. And we can't keep our salvation. That is something that God is doing for himself. Aren't you glad that salvation is not up to us to keep? 
Because we'd all lose it and we all mess up. How many of you sin today? Right? We've all messed up. We can't keep it ourselves. We would lose it like you lose your keys. Something important. The more important it is, the more we're bound to lose it, right? God is promised among himself that he would keep our salvation. He would keep us against that day. He sent the Holy Spirit to seal us. It was the earnest of his payment. Those are promises that God made to himself about us. And that God is a God who keep his word regardless of how foolish we are. The same thing with the Hebrew people. The Hebrew people, we've gone through this for several months. Were they the greatest people to take on a camping trip? Two and a half million complaining people. Every time you turn around, they're complaining and murmuring. Not the best trip. Turn, and they kept wanting Moses to turn the car around. Bring us back to where we started from. But God had made a promise to himself. And that's what Moses was able to go to. Remember God, you made a promise. You keep your promise, even though these are knuckleheads who keep aggravating you. What a great God that he keeps his word. Notice as it goes on in verse number 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God. Remember that talks about that in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. It says, without faith it is impossible to please him. And that he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And then it goes on to a different phrase. That God is what? That God is God. That's what it's saying here. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God. He's God. That answers everything. He's able. He keeps his word. He's able to do it. He has power. He's going to get this through. He is God. He's a big God. We can trust him. He's bigger than any circumstance we may face. He is God. But then it adds this name of God, the faithful God. The faithful God. The faithful God which keepeth covenant and mercy to them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. What that's referring to is that God's promises will never expire. They're going to be available for every generation that it concerns. When Jesus Christ offered salvation, it was not just for the first century. Here in the 21st century, it still applies to us. God has made these promises that are everlasting. They will not expire because God is God. He's able to keep his word and he's able to bless them. He's able to do what he said he was going to do. We understand here that God chose to love us even when we're nothing. And that's a testament of his faithfulness. That God chose to love us even when we were nothing. What a great God. Not only did God choose to love us when we were nothing, a second thing I want to show you about the faithful God from the word of God is that God will keep his word concerning our salvation. God will keep his word concerning salvation. Notice with me in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. Now the Bible describes how the faithfulness of God all throughout the word of God. We're not going to take a tour of all the word of God. But we're going to just heard a couple passages. But it talks about God's faithfulness. Do you know that God's faithfulness is a part of God? That if you were to somehow be able to cut God open, faithfulness would run all the way through him. He is faithful. 
He cannot be anything but faithful. But because of his faithfulness, it also affects us because he is a faithful God. The next thing here is that God will keep his word concerning our salvation. Notice with me in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and notice with me in verse number 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 8. It says, who shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be found blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now let's pause here. Whenever you see the day of our Lord, you'll see that there's a couple statements throughout the Bible. There is the day of God and the day of Jesus. The day of Jesus is referring to an event that happens of Jesus' first coming that entitles two major things. First of all, it is the rapture. The next thing on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. God is going to call us away. And then when he calls us away, immediately what's going to happen at, after the rapture is that we're going to stand before Jesus Christ in the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, we as believers will not be judged for our sin, but we'll be judged for our works, both good and bad. And we're going to see the consequences of them, of what we've done for Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is a victorious thing. Whenever you see it in the Bible where it talks about the day of Jesus is the day that we're going to be called and be facing him. Notice what it said in verse 8. Who shall also confirm you to the end that you may be found blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. That means when we're raptured up and we stand before God, we're no longer guilty of sin before his eyes. We are blameless. There is nothing that he can accuse us of. Even though we're guilty, but Jesus' blood and righteousness has now taken us over. His righteousness has been imputed upon our account. That when you look at the record of our life, they don't see our record. They see Jesus' righteousness. That we're considered blameless on that day. Notice in verse 8 as it continues with that, God is faithful. So it says you're going to be found blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is faithful. God is faithful. By whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. That God was honest and faithful when he offered forgiveness for our sins. Aren't you glad that God was faithful? God made a promise that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Aren't you glad that when you go to heaven and stand before God, that God says, you know what? I didn't really mean that. I'm sorry. He meant everything he said. You could count on God's word. You say, how do you know that you're going to heaven? By the way, you can know. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. How do I know that I'm forgiven of my sins? How do I know that I'm going to heaven? Not because I feel like it. Not because when I said a prayer that, um, that the angels came up, the light came on, a choir went, oh. It's not even because I said a prayer, because my prayer doesn't save me. How do I know that I'm going to heaven? Because God made me a promise, and he is faithful to keep his word. I can trust him. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. God is faithful. 
So when someone starts doubting their salvation, it's quite as simple. What does the Bible say? But I don't feel like I'm saved. It's not dependent on feelings. Because we all wake up and we don't feel saved. You don't look saved. You don't smell saved. But it's dependent upon God. It's His Word. Even if I mess up, God is still faithful. I'm trusting in His promises. God made me a promise and He is faithful. Here, this is directly concerning our salvation. Who shall confirm us to the, unto the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? That when I stand before God, I am considered blameless. My record is clear. My account has been paid for. I am blameless. Why? God is faithful. The faithful God. The God who will keep His word. You know, there's something else about the faithful God that not only do we have the idea that God chose to love us even when we were nothing. He is faithful. We know that God will keep His word concerning our salvation because He is faithful. Something else I want to show you is that God will keep His word even when we're in temptations and trials. God will keep His word even when we're in temptations and trials. As we're in the book of 1 Corinthians, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. That God will keep His word even when we're in temptations and trials. Now, there is nothing in the Bible that said that when you come to know Christ as your Savior, that from then on, it's going to be rainbows and puppy dog tails. It's going to be unicorn farts. It's going to be nice and wonderful things. Now, guess what? The rain falls upon the just and the unjust. Life still happens. You still have to survive life, and it's not always fun. It's not always easy, and it's not without the absence of troubles. So when we have troubles, is God still faithful? When we're in the middle of troubles, is it all lost? When we're in the deepest, darkest storm, is God's light still not there? Well, remember that God is faithful. Notice what the Bible has to say about this in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 10. Now, oddly enough, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 is in direct commentary to the children of Israel walking in the wilderness. So this applies exactly where we're covering right now. So the children of Israel walking in the wilderness, what does God have to say about this? Well, notice as we pick this up in verse number 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Now, all these things happened unto them for examples. And they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. We know that the Bible says that these things were written for our example. In fact, it uses the word example. An example is one sample to follow. An example is a pattern to follow for life. So it's a long example. A long-range sample. So it's not just a sample. It is a pattern to follow for life. It is something that you could examine. Well, because we have the life and ministry of Moses, we can see how the children of Israel were behaving the whole 40-year trip. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't nice. And God gave us as an example to say, look at their entire life. And let me tell you, I am writing this for your admonishment. 
Don't do that. That's what the life and ministry of Moses tells us. Don't be like that. Remember, what's the one thing that they did over and over? Complain. See, you got that now. And what does God not want you to do? You know, when you read that, you see they're complaining. Doesn't it make you sick? Doesn't it kind of make you like, why don't you stop? Why don't you learn your lesson? And God says, okay, why don't you stop? Why don't you learn your lesson? It wasn't pretty on them and it doesn't look good on you. This is something you can look. Look at the pattern of their life. And I'm writing this for your admonition. Don't do that. Don't behave like them. That's not what you should be like. They had God's faithfulness. They saw God's presence over and over and over. And God never stopped being faithful to them. They just didn't respond to God's faithfulness. They complained and they murmured. Notice as it goes on in verse number 12. Wherefore, let him think that he standeth. Take heed, lest he fall. What we see here is that you need to be careful. Because you could backslide. You could put your trust in yourself. I'm a great Christian. Look at what I can do. Be careful. You can't live the Christian life without Christ. You can't do it yourself. You understand the Bible gives us a spiritual digression that is given by the examples of a backslider. You know, as you look at the children of Israel, and chapter 10 goes back and describes this. We could see them. They had God's presence. They did all these things. And you know what happened, first of all, in this example here? They developed a distaste of God's word, which was pictured by the manna. Didn't they complain about God's manna? I have the bread from heaven every day God has provided. I don't like this anymore. I'm bored. I need something else. You know... One of the first ways for a Christian to start backsliding is make the Bible where it's old, where it's, no, it's distasteful. The Bible says a lot about eating God's word. Now remember, that is figurative language that's to be taken literally. All right? So that doesn't mean that Ezekiel, when God's, or Jeremiah, or any of those prophets, both of them were told to do so. When they were told to eat God's word, does that mean they said, okay, well, the preacher said, rip out a book, uh, page and start just chomping on it? No, what it's saying is that you eat it, you experience it, you digest it, put it in you figuratively, but it has a literal idea. Read the Bible, be in God's word, live in God's word. Well, when a Christian says, eh, the Bible's boring now, I've read it. I read the Bible once, one long time ago, I'm good. When you start to get a distaste from the bread of heaven, by the way, that's how the Bible descri uh, God describes the Bible. It is the bread of life. It is the bread of heaven. We need it all the time. Jesus said that even in his temptations. Man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of their mouth. You're to live off the word of God. This is your bread from heaven. But when a Christian, and as it goes through Hebrews, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, you could read it for yourself and you could see this that they started to not like the meat that was given to them. And then what happens is that Christ is replaced with a worldly religion. Isn't that what happened? They started to worship other gods. It started with their distaste from God's word, and then they started to go to other gods. Remember, we talked about that with Balaam. How did he get the people to backslide? He had them to start worshiping other gods. They weren't close to God's word, and so they started to drift off. 
This idea of spiritual adultery. This idea of putting your love and affection to something else that doesn't belong to. Our affection needs to belong to God. And then every time idolatry is presented in the Bible, you'll follow this example and this example. Idolatry is always followed by immorality. Always in the Bible. Idolatry is followed by immorality. Idolatry is followed by immorality. Remember the golden calf? Idolatry was followed by immorality. You'll find that all throughout the Bible that whenever the people start worshiping a false god, it is followed up by immorality. So here we could see in the life of these people, how did they get from here to here? They got by having God's word, having God's bread from heaven, and having a distaste for it. That opened the door for them to start worshiping, putting their love and affection to something that it didn't belong to. Instead of God, it went to something else. That opened the door for immorality. That when you're no longer following God or cares about what he says, then everything is open and I could do whatever I want. I could live however I want. Idolatry is preceded by immorality. All of this is given in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You could take time to read it yourself and then see the other examples all the way throughout um, the Bible. Good. <laughs> now, notice with me in verse 13. So it's given this example, but how does God's faithfulness apply to us now? <laughs> so, by the way, after the immorality comes skepticism and then tempting God. And the final stage is to go to the world completely. So we need to be careful that we don't follow these same sins that example did, that Israel did. These were given, written down for our example, a pattern to follow. Don't do that. Don't get to the place where you despise God's word because what's going to happen is that you're going to start worshiping something other than God. That's going to lead to immorality. That's going to lead to skepticism. That's going to lead to tempting God. And then finally just going straight into the world. We saw that in the life and of the children of Israel. But notice verse 13. So because we have a faithful God, how do we respond when we get to these situations? Verse number 13. There hath no temptation taken to you that is such, that it, but is such as common to man. Meaning that, guess what? Everyone has problems. You are not in a unique situation. You say, no one's ever had the problems I have. Yes, they have. Alright? Someone's gone through it. But the but the temptations and the problems that we have, the issues that we have are common. People go through them. Sometimes we're not going through it all at once, but every one of us have these temptations. We have storms. We have things that come upon us. So all of us have to do this. But notice this. There hath no temptation taken to you, but is common to man, but God is faithful. It goes on. Who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able now, some people put that as a period there, and they don't continue on. You know what some people mistakenly teach this verse to say? Some people have mistakenly taught this verse, God will not allow you to be tempted more than you're able. That's what they teach. They say, God will not give more upon me than what I can handle. You've heard that before. That is a lie. That is not what this verse says. God will often give you more than you can handle. Why? Because God is faithful. You have to read the rest of the verse. What does the rest of the verse say? Verse 13. But there is no temptation 
taken to you, but is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with that temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You know what the way of escape always is? God. God is faithful. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, God is the answer. He's your way of escape. I can't handle this no more. Go to God. It may be finances. You may look and see the bills keep coming in and you say, it doesn't work. How do I solve this? I can't. I feel like I'm drowning now. I just can't get above water. I feel like I'm going under. God is faithful. He is your way of escape. I'm dealing with these family problems. You don't understand. I don't know what to do with them. I beat my head against them. And I wish I could take their head and beat their head against the wall. And it's not working. What do I do? God is faithful. He is your way of escape. You look past the circumstances and see the God of the circumstances. My physical problems, it doesn't feel like it's going away. It feels like it's getting worse. What do I do? Do I just feel like giving up? God is faithful. He has made a way of escape and that is Jesus Christ. You know what the world likes to teach you? The world likes to teach you is that you don't complain. You pick yourself up by the bootstraps. It's so often when people say, oh yeah, I've been through that. Let me tell you how I got through that. I just chinned up. I just got a stiff upper lip. I just presented myself. I trudged through. Well, that's horrible. Because God never intended you to do that. Notice what it said in verse 12. Wherefore let him thinketh that he standeth. Take heed lest he fall. God never intended you to live the Christian life by yourself. He always intended for you to have a way of escape. And that's to run to Jesus. Why? He is faithful. It doesn't matter what you go through. You go to God. He can help you through it. It doesn't matter how deep the hole you find yourself. You go to God. He can help you. You are not intended to get through it by yourself. And you are a poor Christian for trying because you're going to fail. You cannot do it. But God can. He is your way of escape. You know, so many Christians are just drowning because they're trying to solve their problems themselves. They're trying to solve the issues they're going through themselves. They think of their own schemes and their own plans. You understand there's only two ways to live your life. You live your life by force or you live your life by faith. You live your life trying to force and manipulate and scheme and make it happen. Or you live your life trusting God. Of course, everyone recognizes the old kindergarten toy, preschool toy, where you taught how to do these things. And everyone knows that you could take the circle and by experimentation, you've learned you could put that. Now it's not working for me today. You could put it within the square hole. You may have to force it some. It doesn't go easier naturally. But guess what? You could force that thing in there. And that's how people live their life. I'm going to make it work. And I'm going to struggle. And I'm going to make it happen. But you know, when you live your life by faith, you're not forcing things to happen. You're trusting God to bring it to pass. You're waiting on Him. Remember, waiting on God is the ultimate form of worship. I'm able to wait on Him because I trust Him. How can I trust Him? Because God is faithful. 
You understand the faith life is the best life. I didn't say it's the life without troubles, but it's the easier life because no matter what I put my, find myself in, I can still trust God because he is faithful. Remember, God will often give you more than you can handle. He'll do it on purpose so you have no other choice but to trust God. For those who are foolish to say, I've got this, I've got this. God's going to keep adding more and more weight until you finally say, I can't handle it no more. Oh, what a struggle it is to watch the people just get down to the weight. I can handle it. I can handle it. Oh, I wish you would live. I... God doesn't want you to live your life under that bondage, under that pressure. He's given you the way of escape. And that is God. Because he is faithful. Notice as it ends up in verse number 14. It almost seems out of context to what he just said, but it's directly in context. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. You said, what in the world does idolatry have to do with the weight that I'm trusting? Because you are either trusting God or you're trusting in something else. You're either trusting in God to deliver you or that you can deliver you. And that was never your job. It is God's job. Because God is faithful. I know without a doubt that many of you are going through situations. And you look at the situation and it is so big. It's right in front of you. It's overwhelming. You need to look past that situation. And look at the God of the circumstances and say God is faithful. God is bigger than anything you'll ever face. Whether it's finances, whether it's family, or whether it's physical health. God is faithful. And you look up to Him. So many of us hurt our own selves because we're trying to carry a weight that God never intended us to handle. You can't change that numbskull. God can. You can't fix your situation, but God can. You can't fix your health. God can. God is faithful. And the Christian life is the best life. Not because we have the absence of problems, but we have a big God who's bigger than any problem that we have. And he is faithful. He is faithful. You know, some of you could use going to an old-fashioned altar and say, God, I can't handle it no more, nor do I want to. I'm going to give this to you. You just tell me what to do and I'll be obedient. But I'm trusting you. Can you trust him? Can you trust him? That's the question it comes to. We know that God is faithful, but you have to make the choice to trust him or to carry on by yourself. Whenever you get tired of your situation... Just turn it to God. God, I don't need to have this weight. Let me tell you, this is why the Christian life is so different than everyone else. Is that we don't have to live weighted down. We don't have to live in fear. We have a God we could run to at any time. Because He is faithful. 
Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 Five three zero six three zero eight. Once again, that number is nine two zero five three zero six three zero eight. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.